So Mark chapter 6, starting at verse 45, we read, Immediately he made his disciples, and this is immediately after the whole loaves and fishes event, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. This passage just really clarifies that, you know, the disciples are in one place. Jesus is somewhere different. They're on the water. He's on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, just kind of like three in the morning or so, he came to them, walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them. Okay, let's just pause here for a moment. We don't need to take like an actual vote or anything, but I'm just curious. When we read this passage, what stands out to you? That Jesus walked on the water, or that walking on the water, he meant to pass by them. Like it's, he wasn't even going to stop. He was just going to keep walking. And like maybe walking on the water is like one of the most common miracles of Jesus, right? So maybe we've just come accustomed to expect that Jesus is going to be walking on the water. Or, or maybe it's just the idea we're so perplexed that the idea that Jesus sees his disciples in despair, in despair. He sees the storm. He sees the boat. He sees how his disciples are responding to the despair. So he pulls out this awesome miracle, and then he's not even going to stop. He's just going to keep on going. And it begs us to ask the question, why? Why would Jesus just plan to keep walking? And that's an important question for us to be asking. Jesus could also recognize, you know, it, it wasn't that long ago when he was in the boat with them in the storm. Right? That's only two chapters ago where Jesus calms the storm by speaking it a command to be still. And it does. Mark chapter 4. Now we're in Mark chapter 6 and there's another storm. But this time, he doesn't speak to the storm. Instead, he intends to pass by. I wonder if Jesus was kind of like our moms when we were kids, right? The kids are playing in the room and mom just kind of walks down the hall, looks in the room and just checking on things. You know, making sure we're doing what we're supposed to be doing, that we're not doing what we're not supposed to be doing. Just, you know, a reminder of the authority that's present there, right? Right, mom's in the house, we better behave ourselves. Kind of similar feeling with teachers are like walking through the classroom when you have an exam. There's a police car patrolling the streets. Uh, you, you, you know the feeling. I don't think that's exactly what Jesus is up to. But whatever he was doing, we know it was important that the disciples saw him it was not necessary that Jesus had to stop. But something caused Jesus to alter his course. So let's keep reading. We're in verse 49. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they saw him and were terrified. And obviously the disciples did not pick up on whatever Jesus was trying to communicate to them. They didn't recognize it was him at all, let alone what his intentions were. It says, but immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. This, this call, this command, take heart, it is I. And, and this call of the heart is going to be a common thread throughout this morning, through all the different stories and all the different references we're making. It's focused on the heart. Take heart, it's a call to have courage, have confidence, have hope to steady your heart for the conflict or the battle that you're about to engage in. 
Jesus' grounds for his command for his disciples to take heart is his own self-identification. Take heart. It is I. I'm not a ghost. It's me, Jesus, your teacher, your leader, your miracle worker, and your friend. And he climbs into the boat with them and reminds them of who he is as the sea immediately calms. Jesus is saying, remember who I am. I'm the one who calmed the stormy sea with a single command where my authority and control over creation was put on display. To which the disciples then at that time asked the question, okay, but who then is this? That's an important question and it's a question that Jesus is answering for them now. He's also saying, I, I'm the one who fed the 5,000. It was just a few loaves and fishes where my abundant provision and creative power was put on this display, but you didn't understand that either. Jesus is again providing a truth of himself to the disciples, and he does this by passing by. Jesus' passing by on the water was again making a clear and direct statement of his deity. So let me bring you to the book of Exodus for a moment. Exodus chapter 33 is this encounter where Moses is on Mount Sinai talking with God after this whole golden calf incident. Moses is interceding on behalf of the Israelites because the Israelites are in trouble. And in the midst of this intense scene, Moses gives a request. He says, God, show me your glory. And God grants his request. And he says, I will make all my goodness pass before you. And I will proclaim my own name to you. Then he says, but you cannot see my face, for man cannot see me and live. So God, what, what God does is he puts Moses in this little cleft of the rock. And he says, when I walk past you, I'm going to be holding out my hand to cover your eyes until I am past. And then I'll let my hand go and you can see the back of me. And even at this encounter, even just Moses looking at the back of God was such an undeniable encounter with the Almighty God that when Moses came down from the mountain, his face was literally radiant. It was glowing because of his encounter with the Almighty God. This was Jesus' intention by passing by on the water. He was making a direct connection between himself and the Almighty God. Jesus was directly answering the for the disciples, the previous question, who then is this? I, Jesus, am God in person. And the disciples didn't pick up on this sign. Jesus changed course. He got into the boat with them because Jesus is fully God. Yet he is distinct that he is God with us. Jesus passing by wasn't just a reminder of his authority and how the disciples should act, it was a greater revelation of who the person of Jesus is. Who then is this? Jesus, the Messiah, one with God, not just an identification with God. God himself, come down to be with us. God has come into the boat. Jesus is God with us. And, and our text tells us that the disciples were astounded because they didn't understand the loaves and fishes and it says because their hearts were hardened. The disciples' hearts were hardened. The disciples did not have the eyes to see the glory that was right in front of them. And it wasn't intentional. It's not like they were trying to avoid it or hide from it. In fact, they were, they were fully committed to Jesus. 
and desperately trying to understand. And, and it was just a slower process than what we have come to expect. And that's okay. The Apostle Paul has some valuable insights into this type of situation. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, Paul teaches this, but their minds were hardened. Uh, now, he's not speaking of the disciples in the boat specifically. He's speaking about uh, the Israelites in general. He says their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. So the disciples might have been slow to understand, but the veil was starting to be lifted, piece by piece, and slowly by slowly. And what I find most encouraging is Jesus' persistence and his patience with his disciples in these moments. We read these stories and wonder, how could it be any more obvious to them, all of these miracles that Jesus is doing right in front of them? These guys are living with Jesus, and they just don't get it. But Jesus is saying, that's okay. Let me tell you again. Let me show you in another way who I am. And he speaks to us in ways that we can understand. And he speaks to us at a pace so that we can understand. Because Jesus knows the capacity of our hearts, and he desires us to have more. And there is always more. And he meets us in our current state of understanding, and he will guide us to a place of fuller understanding. And maybe, maybe passing by is enough. Maybe just getting that glimpse, maybe just getting that reminder of who is with us, of who Jesus really is, will be enough to carry us to the next stage. But Jesus is always willing and will never hesitate to step into the boats with us, to take us there. To give us the call to take heart. Take heart so we can have solid ground to conf confidently stand in our faith of who the person of Jesus is. At this time, I just want us to pause for a moment to pray, to reflect, and to listen. We pray, Lord Jesus, we declare that you are Lord. And we ask that you would show us, reveal to us, where is it right now that my heart is hardened? Where is there bitterness? Where is there confusion, unforgiveness? And then Jesus, we ask, show us a picture. What circumstances in my life right now are you stepping into the boat with me? And finally, Jesus, remind us, who are you? Speak to us in, uh, in your own words. Speak to us in, in a way that connects and resonates with us. Who are you?
We thank you, Lord, for being a God with us and one who reveals yourself to us. Amen. Now, uh, this next section is where we're going to start moving through bigger sections of the text a bit quicker. We've answered the question, who is Jesus? The living God, come down to be with us. And now we're going to start the exploring the question of, but what has he come to do? The, this final scene in Mark chapter 6 uh, tells us that, uh, that Jesus and the disciples shore their boat in an unintentional place. Remember, they were set out to go to Bethsaida, but it tells us they actually landed near a town called Gennesaret. And what really stands out is verse 54. It says, When they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him. And they brought their sick, and the sick were healed. And we're left with the irony of the disciples who could not understand Jesus, who did not recognize Jesus, compared to these common folk who maybe they've seen Jesus once or twice before, but yet when Jesus stepped out of the boat, they immediately recognized him, not just recognized him, they had confidence in his ability to provide for them by healing their sick. And it's not only a jarring contrast between the, the common folk and the disciples, but even greater for the characters that enter the scene next. Because every time Jesus draws a crowd to himself, we are bound to expect that the Pharisees are going to show up. And they come in their typical fashion, and this time, picking on the disciples. You know, they notice that some of the disciples have started eating without washing their hands. And, it, like, to be fair, it's also a concern I would have. But, like, come on, they were just on the boat through the storm. They just dealt with this huge crowd, and the boys are hungry. They're just ready to eat. Uh, but, but, oh, yeah, and then the text makes sure to clarify it tells us that, you know, the Pharisees are actually any Israelites at all. They never eat until they wash properly first. And, and they do this with their hands, and they do this with their pots, and with their cups, and it gives a whole list of things about their washings. So let's, let's just pause for a moment and make sure that we're all on the same page. Washing your hands before you eat a meal is a really good idea and something that we should all do. Correct? Good. But the Pharisees go up to Jesus and ask him, this is chapter 7, verse 5. Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And here the truth comes out. Because this isn't washing your hands to get the germs off before you eat kind of conversation, which you know, the disciples may or may not have done. Uh, but the Pharisees aren't concerned about food safety for the disciples. They are concerned about their traditions of a ceremonial washing that has been established. And here comes a crew of disciples with this new rabbi, completely ignorant of how we have always done things around these parts. These are our traditions, and you should know them. What they were doing was nitpicking at Jesus' authority, trying to find grounds on where he was at fault. Ultimately, they were attempting to undo everything that Jesus had just revealed to his disciples, that Jesus was revealing to the crowds about who he was. The Pharisees were attacking his deity because they believed Jesus was a trick. Hashtag Jesus trick or treat. You can use that later if you want. They believed he was a trick and a heretic, and they wanted to discredit his authority with the people. Jesus, who is so patient with us when we're slow to understand, is also very quick to correct us when we are wrong. So Jesus responds to them quoting some of their own ancestors' writings, saying in verse 6 to 7, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, 
This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. So here Jesus is directly quoting of Isaiah chapter 29, verse 13. But he's also referencing another passage. He's making a strong connection between Ezekiel chapter 33. And in there we read, Come and hear what the word is that comes from the Lord. And they come to you as people come, and they sit before you as people, and they hear what you say, but they will not do it. For with lustful talk in their mouths they act, and their heart is set on gain. Now this is what Jesus is saying of the Pharisees. You listen to the word of God as one who listens intently. But then you do not do what it asks of you, because your heart is so inwardly focused on your own gain. And then Jesus goes on to add in Mark 7, verse 9, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. And Jesus is not holding any punches at this point. Two crucial things here that I want us to see. First, Jesus is defending his own disciples. He's defending them even though they didn't wash their hands because it wasn't part of the law to wash hands. But it was a tradition that they had established and, and the Pharisees held on to this tradition and many other traditions as if it was a law, a commandment from God. Jesus is drawing a hard line between this is a commandment of God and this is a tradition of man and we better be able to recognize the difference. The second thing Jesus puts on display for everyone to see is, you know, the Pharisees really have no grounds for making any such type of accusation because they themselves are the embodiment of hypocrisy. Not only do they esteem their traditions as law, they actually neglect the real law for the sake of their traditions. And in this passage in Mark chapter 7, it gives the example of how the Pharisees would take, take a portion of money that they would have set aside to care for their parents, their father and mother, and they would uh, give it as a gift to the temple. And by that, they would say, you know, we, uh, we're free from the obligation to honor our father and mother because of the good thing that we did over here. And Jesus calls them out and says, you know, that's actually just one of the many practices that you have where you've ignored the law of God, honor your father and mother, for the sake of establishing your own ways. The Pharisees claim to be closer to God than anyone else because of how close they would hold to the law, that their hearts were far from it. Their hearts were far from God. Their only concern was their external actions, and they had no awareness of the state of their own hearts. And we see the depravity of the human heart on display in the Pharisees as directly opposing the law of Moses, which so often commanded people to care for the sick and the helpless. Yet that is what they were neglecting. They held to their own traditions, their own adaptations, their own interpretations, their own additions of the words of God so tightly that they completely missed the heart of God and of who was standing in their midst in front of them that day. You know, their traditions had no spiritual authority. Traditions can be deeply valuable, yes. They can supplement the word of God, but they are not authoritative. Now, uh, it's no surprise that our church has been in a season of change. And as a result, it has challenged and changed our routines, our methods, and our practices, whether we're looking at the past three years or at the past three weeks. And some of these changes have been really exciting. 
Like, as we anticipate Andrew coming to join us as a new lead pastor, that is a good thing that we can anticipate. Some of these changes uh, that we've gone through have been excruciatingly painful. And as we continue to move forward, it's, it's my hope that we as a church, we can recognize the value that comes from a tradition, but that we'd be people who are known for holding on to the truth that is found in the Word of God. Traditions can have value, but they pale in comparison to the truth that is found in the Word of God. Their traditions had no spiritual authority, therefore the disciples' actions had no spiritual consequences. Jesus now directs his attention back to the crowd of people that have been there, and he teaches them, verse 14 and 15, Hear me, all of you, and understand There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And as per usual, once the disciples kind of have their alone time with Jesus, they feel free to speak out. And it's like, hey, Jesus, do you maybe mind like explaining that a little bit more? To which Jesus responds, uh, to which Jesus responds, then are you also without understanding? It's an important connection for us to make because Jesus has now just made a comparison between his own disciples and the Pharisees who also lacked understanding. But here's the difference between the disciples and the Pharisees. The disciples lacked understanding. It even says that they had hardened hearts, but they remained with Jesus. And they were gradually learning. The Pharisees were blind in their understanding. Their hearts were far from God and and their pursuit was to discredit Jesus. The disciples came with questions. The Pharisees came with accusations. Jesus honors his disciples' request, and he explains it to them again, giving them, you know, a little bit of an anatomy lesson. He says, you know, what goes into your mouth doesn't go into your heart. It goes into your stomach and comes out again. That's what the Bible says. Because uh, it's, it's that what comes from within and then comes out that defiles you. Verse 21 to 23, we read, From within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. This is the human reality. The heart being at the center of of our mind, our emotions, our will, and our desires is exposed for what it's worth. Corrupt. This is a dismal end to our passage this morning. This is as far as the text will take us today. But But this list isn't just meant to expose wickedness and shame us into better Christian living because that's never how Jesus operates. This list does serve a purpose. And, you know, throughout Scripture, uh, we see a number of lists that come up like this. You know, maybe we're reminded of the Ten Commandments, or Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Or in Galatians 5, there's this even longer list that's identified as the sins of the flesh. The Pharisees' hearts were operating in this condition. And, And I believe that the disciples' hearts were still operating in this condition as well. This list resonates with us. 
Whether we want it to or not, we have a personal relationship with this list, whether it's something from our past, whether it's something from our present, whether it's something that we're desperately trying to work through today. This list touches every single individual and reminds us of our human condition. But more importantly, when we see a list such as this in the Bible, it's because there's a new work that is about to begin. The old is being put away, and the new is about to come. And it provides hope, and it provides a way for us to break free from such a list. So in this list, I want you to hear again Jesus' words to his disciples as he stepped onto the boat. Take heart. Take heart, be confident, have hope. Stand firm because Jesus has come to deal with the matters of the heart, with the source of our defilement. And he does this with the call to take heart. And I think he meant it. I think he meant it in a very literal way. I think he meant, here, take my heart. When Jesus was rebuking the Pharisees, Remember, he quoted Isaiah. He referenced this passage in Ezekiel. Ezekiel, those who listen to the word but ignore it for their own gain. There's a, another message to be discovered through these references that Jesus is reminding them of. The book of Ezekiel goes on for another three chapters of prophesying against wickedness. But then it lands on this very distinct point. Ezekiel chapter 36. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. Here we have the Pharisees' attention at this point. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart. And a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh. And give you a heart of flesh. Take my heart. Yours has been corrupt. Yours lacks understanding. Yours is hardened. Take mine instead. And I will heal everything that we see on this list. And all of a sudden, this list, when we read it, we don't feel shame. We don't feel the awkwardness. But what we want to do with this list is we want to add to it. We say, Jesus, if you're, if you're making things new, don't forget to put this. Take this and don't be done until this is also gone. And he will. Because Jesus isn't just putting a band-aid on our hearts. Jesus is giving us a new heart. A heart that's pointed towards the truth of the word of God. Jesus is so much more than a man who can walk on water. He is the man who has a spiritual authority to transform a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. A man who has the same authority as God. A man who is God with us. This is the person and this is the work of Jesus, the Christ. So church... Take heart, because Jesus is in our midst, and he's stepping into our boat with us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that it has provided for us. We thank you for the revelation that it offers of who the person of Jesus is. So Lord, we pray that you would fill us with confidence and that you would give us boldness to recognize that you have established an authority within us, one that can overcome the old ways. Lord, help us to recognize that you have put aside the old and you have made us new. And with that, there is change. And no, we recognize that change doesn't happen overnight. But Lord, may our hearts be ever directed towards you 
focused and moving towards more of your likeness. Lord, give us the boldness to be able to take these steps. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. At the end of our service, as always, there's opportunity for prayer. We'll have the prayer team stationed at the front. Whether it's something from this morning or if there's anything else that's been on your heart or your mind that you would like prayer for, we invite you and welcome you to receive prayer. Again, there's a prayer gathering this evening uh, in the landing from 6 to 7, which we invite you as well. And don't forget, next Sunday has a time change. I don't really know what that means, but the times will be different. Spring forward, fall back, something like that. Uh, check your phones. They'll tell you. Uh, when, when we head outside, you're going to see there's a bunch of booths with uh, arts and crafts and baking for sale. That is something that the Young at Heart have put on as a fundraiser because they are providing a Christmas banquet for our young adult group. So the Young at Hearts and young adults are, are being very intentional and connecting. So I encourage you to support them by checking out uh, what they have for sale. And of course, you have noticed that there's uh, tons of tables set up in the cafe. This is our section lunch. Uh, everyone's invited. There's pizza being offered. We encourage you to uh, uh, please first get your kids and then grab your friends, take your conversations, uh, and enjoy lunch together. Uh, as we close this morning, the benediction from 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 15 to 18. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. You may go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Enjoy your lunch together.